here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Well, Raya, how are you doing? I am good this morning. I'm excited to talk with you. You know, I, I got to ask you this question. So I know on your Instagram is at Climate Auntie, right? Yes. And then on your on your Twitter is just Raya Salter. Oh. So is there a, is there a Climate Auntie on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you, you got you got to buy somebody out to get there. <laughs> Because I have trademarked Climate Auntie. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> I joke. I joke with you. Um, it's not an alter ego. I'm not Batgirl. But I do embrace the idea of a Climate Auntie and, and Climate Uncles like yourself and Climate Family. In fact, yesterday mm. I was I had a meeting and I said, I'm Climate Auntie. And everyone changed their name to Climate Bestie, Climate Cousin. Like that. Well, just let me know, because you know we we we, we got to talk to somebody over there at Twitter, so you can you can you can get that over there too. Get the climate auntie on Twitter. You can help me with them. Yeah, we got we got to figure I that one out. Very much appreciate that, because you know how they be. And they no no they they, they, they like, little... like people say things. They take your content down and bad ban you and shadow ban you. I just joke joking Twitter. I just heard about that. Heard about that. <laughs> well. For those who don't know, I'm talking to Raya Salter, a.k.a. Climate Auntie, and she is an attorney, an educator, and clean energy law and policy expert with a focus on energy and climate justice. She's a member of the New York State Climate Action Council, which is developing New York's plan to reach the nation's leading climate action goals, and the policy director for uh, New York Renews Climate Justice Coalition. In previous roles, she was a senior attorney for the NRDC, National Resources Defense Council, and a regulatory attorney for the Environmental Defense Fund, EDF. Started her legal career as an energy associate at Dewey and LaBeouf, LLP. Raya has practiced in several jurisdictions, including New York, California, and Hawaii, and is co-editor of Energy Justice, U.S. and International Perspectives, which came out in 2018. Raya sits on the board of directors of the Energy and Environmental Study Institute and the advisory board of Evergreen Action, which we both sit there together. And she is, as I mentioned, Climate Auntie on Instagram and TikTok. And we need to figure out how to get her hooked up on Twitter. And her website is RayaSalter.com. So I said a lot there, Raya, but for folks, to tell me something Let's, let's get a little bit more personal. So for folks in the audience, besides all the activists and attorney and all the climate stuff you're doing to save the planet, who is Raya Salter? That's a really kind thing to ask. And I think that's, I'm really glad that you did because, and I encourage other folks to think about this, like the seasons we have in our lives. I don't think about my life and work as a career trajectory. You know, I do see it as a mission and a purpose. So, you know, the political is personal. Um, that's certainly true to me, true with me as well. But I'm just a average, regular, regular individual. I'm a mom. I went to law school as a single mother with a toddler. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, 
My baby's in college. Somebody's college. Wow, that's that's incredible. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And I like to say that though, because to everything there is the season. I really feel. Sometimes you're a student. Sometimes you're down in the diggity dumps of despair. Mm. Sometimes you're on top, and that's just the way it is. And and uh, at every single point, you know, sometimes there's been activism in there. No, that, and and that's amazing. You say that so. Um, because a lot of folks just think as an, as an activist, you do that all day, every day, 24-7. So clearly you had a, a lived life within that process. You also, I mean, obviously you went from being, um, and actually you went from being a, a, from a law firm to an activist lawyer. Um, that's an interesting kind of evolution. Um, what, what was it there that, did you have? Did you do you took a case? Was it something personal? What 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 took you from the uh, as we would say from the streets to the sweets? <laughs> I never heard that phrase, but I guess I like it. Although I do remember thick thick carpeting, and the gold gilt on the you know <laughs> and the dark wood paneling. I mean that stuff was pretty fancy. I'm not going to sit here and say it wasn't. Um, but thank you for asking. For me, like I believe many. Black people in particular, but many of people of color who go to law school, I think that many of us feel that we, you know, that part of why we're doing it is because we want to use the law as a tool for justice in some regard. Uh, That's just, that's been my experience um, in the legacy of our, you know, of our culture, you know, where we come from um, and needing to get free in general. Before I went to law school, I was doing community-based work um, and I spent I did a smattering of things, but I worked in Bushwick. I worked in Yonkers, middle school programming in particular. Decided I wanted to take my life in a different direction. Chose law school. And so it was always going to be this for me in some way, shape, or form. And then you kind of find your path. Like I said, to everything, there is a season. Why energy in particular? Um, To be honest, the more, and I I suspect that you and others feel this way, the more and more I learned about climate change and climate justice, the more indignant and furious I became. I said, I know that my people didn't, I know that my people (laughs) didn't uh, pick cotton in Alabama Mm. and we all survived from that, from everything that we survived, only to be destroyed in this ultimate unjust way. And that's difficult. The reason I say that is because even now, uh, my family in particular um, uh, is dealing with an oil company that's seeking to uh, use land that we quote unquote own because they gave it to us after they freed us. So this is a a long, complicated, I don't need to tell you story that's so deeply personal to the, the black experience in America and indigenous experience in America and, and every path for our people to be engaged in this conversation has been cut short by some kind of white supremacy. And yet when we scratch the surface, it is all about us. Mm. Let me ask you a question about that. Should we, you talk about black people, but this could be, you know, BIPOC communities as well, black, brown, indigenous, people of color. Should we trust this justice system here in America? (laughs) Is that a trick question? No. no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you've, you've, you've used, you've used your life in this process, right? So, I guess, and I know that as we 
for me, my, my life is based around demonstration. But I also know that demonstration without litigation leads to frustration. And I know that we've had cases from Plessy v. Ferguson to Brown v. Board of Education that are critical and for us to be, as a people, to be to, to begin to seek freedom. But there's also cases where we see from police brutality to pollution to, to so many other areas that reminds us that the old, the old joke, as they would say, would be there's justice and then there's just us. And so you, have, you who have used, obviously, law, should, should we, can we believe in this justice system here in America? Well, thank you for laying that out. That's real things that you said. And I appreciate you sharing what you um, have noticed from your own from your own experience. And I take it by that you mean resistance <laughs> as also as indirect action as I see on your hat. And I appreciate that a lot. And and you know, you are raising a deep and existential question about how, you know. Many others have inspected this before me, you know, using the master's tool to dismantle the master's house, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. holding the complexity of, you know, trying to change this system to even be a part of this system in a way that is like just and right, you know, in ourselves is difficult on so many levels. My father would say there can't be enough black lawyers. Mm, (laughs) My father mm. would say we could have a hundred thousand new black and I was BIPOC that we, you know, we use that frame of solidarity. And I've been an intersectional woman this for 25 years. There could be 200,000 new black lawyers tomorrow and it wouldn't be enough. Like that's what my father would say. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I agree. And I also agree. We hold in that complexity. Like when I was in, I went to Fordham law school I was an intern at the uh, New York State District Attorney's Office, at the DA's office, uh, in particular in the sex crimes unit. Why? Because I had a real interest after my work with middle schoolers, many who have um, been victims of domestic violence, sexual abuse, to kind of self-righteously put people under the jail, right? Like, you know, and getting involved in that system, seeing how that worked, decided not to become a, uh, a criminal attorney or prosecutor, um, although it was fascinating to see that, and also later found out that I was there at the, at the time when the bureau was led by Lisa Friel. Um, mm, and so, mm. I, you know, it's just there's a lot of complexity. Um, there's a lot of complexity, and, and people have to choose their own adventure. Yeah, nah. Thank you for that. I guess as you were talking, I was thinking, one, you know, I, I've, I've just seen just been looking at your work, obviously, and preparing for this conversation, but just now really looking at all the, all the good things you've been, you've, you've done. And what's interesting to me is how you were in those places, those law firms and those arenas, which is great. But I was just wondering, because obviously you now commit your life to justice. You are the climate auntie. You're now doing everything you can to raise awareness, to protect black, brown, people of color, everybody, all humans, to be honest, but definitely black people from this climate crisis. But in that, when you were there, did you, did you find yourself kind of like as um, the spook who sat by the door, someone who was listening to these conversations, 
behind the door that now you can use to help free your people? I feel that way about the law firm. I feel, mm-hmm. that, way. I feel that way about the white environmental groups. Mm-hmm. I felt that way my entire professional life, and I think most of us do. In fact, that's my dream is to somehow find myself in a situation where somehow we come together to, <laughs> to do the real work and we're not spooks by the door. Yeah. I hope that was an answer. I kind of meant it. No, no, no. That's a real answer. No, no, no. I think, I think that's the way a lot of people feel. I think in, from the law firms to the big green movements, they feel like how do they take that information and, uh, and, and grow it so that we can have it for our communities? Um, so no, that's real. So, so, yeah, no, no. So, so, so this is gonna seem random. So I know you're in New York now, and it's actually, you know, it's kind of nice weather. But you used to be in Hawaii, so I'm gonna figure out why. You know, you left Hawaii to come to New York, which is, I don't, I mean, it seemed like I don't know why you would do that because it's the beautiful weather. <laughs> but while you were in Hawaii, you were doing some amazing work around educating people and doing things around energy poverty. So for, for, for those who don't know, what is energy poverty? And tell us about your work around energy poverty in Hawaii. Energy poverty, and that's something that now we're experiencing, I think so many of us are experiencing in such an immediate way because this terrible COVID and economic crisis has brought so many of us to the brink. And that has meant that we can't pay our light bills. We can't pay our light bills. And when you look under the surface, and now there's a big movement to make sure that people during this crisis, that that utility can't turn your power off. And that is really important, and we all need to support that. And what I think it helps to, when you scratch at that surface, once again, you see how much of your income is taken up by your energy bill or included in your rent, if that's how it's also included. Mm. And, And that... That is a real burden, especially in states or jurisdictions where the energy prices are ridiculously high. New York being one of them, Hawaii being another. Hawaii has the highest energy prices in the country. Why? Because they're real far away, (laughs) very isolated. And it wouldn't surprise you that the beautiful islands of Hawaii aren't brimming with oil wells and coal plants. So, So they literally have to ship um, oil from all points wherever, <laughs> Asia, California, to the islands to burn about 80% of their electricity. They're completely wow. dependent on imported oil, as are other small island nations, Pacific Island countries throughout the world, in Oceania and throughout the world. So that's a that's a that's a that's a powerful thing. Yeah, no, that's that that's fascinating. I guess, and then what about the clean energy? Because I know energy poverty goes both ways, right? Because you could be around the fossil fuel industry aspects of that. Um, but then you can also be around the clean energy from the renewables and still be and still be impoverished energy-wise. And and is that, is that the case in Hawaii or or other places you 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 you've encountered? This is an, a very important issue that is is and will continue to be true, (laughs) I think, in most places. When I think about energy justice, one of the things I I like to say is that to get out of this climate crisis, it is about more than just GHG emissions reductions. (laughs) (laughs) It, It is about more than that. It's not 
you know, we need we need to have emissions reductions, but it needs to be done in a way that's fair. And that's not only because it's wrong to discriminate against people and, you know, harm their lives using energy or other infrastructure, although that's true. How are we going to get to mass adoption unless we're engaging people, engaging communities in these new technologies, changing the trajectory of our infrastructure to to be clean and to be cleaning up and addressing past harms instead of actually doubling down and making everything worse. So in particular in Hawaii, we have a rural indigenous um, native Hawaiian and Polynesian community that is being faced with a, a, some of the largest industrial turbines, wind turbines anywhere that are up anywhere in the world. There's not a single place in the world where a turbine this big is as close to residential population as is here. It's the same clean energy company that owns the coal plant on Hawaii. Clean energy companies are more and more becoming as big and powerful as fossil fuel only companies and fossil fuel companies are doing more and more clean energy. So it's incredibly important to see that we have to have more of a GHG reductions and that this needs to be done in a just and fair way. Because if they're taking indigenous land to put up a solar farm, yeah, that's real. Then, which is happening all over the globe, mm-hmm. that's not cute. Nah, that's crazy. No, and so, no, that's, that's amazing you bring that up because I think a lot of people don't know that side of the story. They only, and even for our movement, we fight only on, we fight one way, say, okay, hey, energy, uh, poverty. Uh, is going to be, you know, deal with fossil fuel industry, but we don't deal with the other side of that and having those communities who live so close to it. And I love what you said earlier, too, about how you talked about how people who are from poor communities are literally spending sometimes so much money on their energy sources, um, which leads to environmental justice and energy burden. Because when I think about that, I was thinking about that, you know, 68% of black people live within 30 miles of a coal-fired power plant. I think about the fact that if you're, what you're saying means that these black people are not only getting from the toxins, they're getting cancer and asthma and emphysema, but then they're also paying more for the energy sources that they're living next to that's killing them. Um, That's crazy, you know, Raya. So, So talk about environmental justice and how that energy burden and how that plays out in cities. That is, and just, that's just an incredible, incredibly important question. And and it's just true that the fossil fuel companies have basically financed their profits um, off the health and well-being of of black people and others. Um, We've seen it in the, you know, in the COVID, um, COVID crisis is terrible the disparate impacts of it. Um, And we know that part of that disparate impact, say in New York City, is the host of comorbidities with asthma and the proximity to the power plants just being one that makes us more vulnerable. So yes, we pay in New York the second highest, second or third highest energy prices in the country. And get this about New York, New York, has very high emissions in terms of what we contribute to the picture in the United States. Mm. We have some of the lowest per capita emissions in the country. Why? Because we have so many people who are low income living in small apartments. 
So this is mm. this is what we're talking about in terms wow. of justice. Contributing the least, contributing the least, and taking and, and experiencing it the worst. So again, so in Hawaii, you have the highest prices. You have the uh, the indigenous, the low income people living together, many people together in a packed house, paying an enormous amount of their. And this is a place where there's no heating season. Paying for this imported oil that is killing us, killing them, and by the way, sinking. Uh, say in, in Hawaii, Native Hawaiian, Samoan, sink, literally sinking your ancestral lands at the same time. Mm. How about that? And so it's no surprise that in, in Hawaii, with that ribbon turned by, 200, 200 people got arrested. We looked at a massive direct action um, that, that happened. Wow. Apples, right? No. <laughs> your ancestral lands are literally sinking. No. You are paying out the nose, can't even afford your life bill. Mm. And, and this is what's this is what's happening. It's global. It's local. It is a. It is. It's not cool. But that's why we're here. No, that's why we're here on the Cooley Show with the Climate Auntie. So speaking about that, uh, that actually leads me to then you know I mentioned earlier about demonstration without litigation leads to frustration. But I want to add in there demonstration without legislation also leads to frustration. Um, and we know either you shape policy or policy will definitely shape you. <laughs> so why should our communities um, care about climate change policy? And specific, specifically for you, I know you're trying to do not, not only why you should care, answer that part of the question, but then I know you're using things like TikTok and things to, to communicate that. And I, I, I want you, I mean, I want you to talk about that as well. Like what it, how are you using storytelling and art and, and social media to help folks care about climate change policy? I'm so glad to be here speaking with you, with, with you about these things, Rev. And one thing I just want to, I truly want to say, and it's why I like to, why I like consider myself a climate auntie for folks who, you know, may want to talk about these things. And I really push back on, um, I'm not coming for you or anyone else. On the idea of I'm out, you know, saving the planet, climate warrior, because while yes, those things are ultimately true, I just I truly want every single individual to understand how important they are in the story and how important mm. every single one of us is um, to bring our power and our activism to the space. And facts. that's why facts. And that's why in New York. It's a big deal. And I like to talk about it because it was a big deal because we in New York passed a law and it was the New York Renews Coalition working with others, um, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act in 2019, which has really shaken the ground in New York. And it really was people coming together in an interracial um, coalition, went to the state capitol, <laughs> we demanded justice for climate justice. We died in, we laid down on the floor. I was provided legal support. I wasn't, I wasn't even actually, I wasn't employed by New York Producer at that time. Uh, we had standing there holding a the tombstone. We was shaking the ground and, and uh, we got this law passed. We did. And what's happened since then, activists got the law passed. Hmm. One of the things in that law, 40% of all climate investments must be targeted towards climate justice communities. That 40%, and it's not enough, it is not the only answer, but because it was a state example, 
This example has been picked up by the Biden administration and you mm. see it in laws ha- popping up everywhere and it's starting to happen, starting to turn. These investments are starting to come towards where they need to be, where they're supposed to be coming to. And we need to be ready. We need to fight for them. We need to be ready. That's that's amazing, actually. It is. And I yeah. Thought, yeah I, that's why I like I'd be on TikTok or and I also love TikTok. <laughs> I was going to say, now you didn't escape the second part of that question. Now, I, I, I'm a, I mean, that was a great answer. And we, we need to have about that 40% and the justice 40. And I'm so glad that the, the Biden administration picked it up. And that's critically important for where we need to move forward. And you're right. I don't know if it's, if people have said, said it's not, maybe not quite enough, but it's definitely in the right direction. And all that's good. But speaking of TikTok, let's, let's get this, let's stay on that for a second. How do you, how do you use TikTok? to then talk about things like the Justice 40 and these kind of things. What's, what's, your, what's your thing in that? And, it, and if you can demonstrate, if you want to sing right now or I don't know. Uh, what this is called, Rev, is instigation. And I'm the type who loves an instigation. That's right. <laughs> but the good thing, that, okay, and this really comes from, and, and what you said, and, and, and I think this is really true about, and I know <laughs> that's what Hip Hop Caucus is about. We love our art and culture. And as somebody who, you know, came up doing youth programming, this is just my own stuff. Nothing brings me more joy <laughs> than watching children dance, watching people <laughs> go crazy, enjoy themselves. So when I got turned on to TikTok, probably too late, and my daughter's embarrassed that I'm there. I oh, should be okay. Should be. I, I I have two in college myself, so you know. That's, we, that's what we we are embarrassing. That's, what we that's right. Hundred percent. That's okay though. It's okay. And I'd like to hear more about your kids, uh, actually, myself. But yeah, so when I saw the, 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 the format, it just brought me so much joy. It's just, and part of it is that you don't have to sing, then you get the music. All you got to do is, 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 you know, be silly. And um, it's fun. And that is the, that's the, and I know you, I don't have to tell you this, but that's where we have to be, despite all this racism all these issues, this climate coming to kill us all. We have to have a spirit of joy, of collective liberation, of optimism, futuristic visions through art so that we can do this without, we can't kill ourselves while we do this. Um, and we lose each other too young all the time. We lost our wonderful Cecil Corman Mark. Right. So that's yeah. my hope is to, um, is to, to help just be another messenger um, of, of no, we, no, no. We, we're not bringing it up. Is that for me? It's clear to me. Even talking to you, seeing you, you, you just, you, you, you just, you just bring joy. There's, a, there's, there's this array. That's probably your name, Raya. I mean, it should be. Is it? That's probably it's probably close to Ray. Ray, this array of hope and this joy, and and also I know as a black woman. I know that there's something that's so powerful about black women and in which despite the despair, despite the trial, despite the tragedy, there's a, there's a baby, baby, we going to make it. Baby, we're going to keep on plugging on. You know, we, we not going to give up hope. And, and I guess is that also because you've been in these places, we, we kind of talk about these law firms and these, these big green groups, you've been in these places and in that, you now understand that just being cynical and jaded and bitter 
um, and depressed won't won't get it. That we have to have joy and hope. Is that part of your goal in this process? Oh man, how kind of you to 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 see the you know Namaste, you know to see the spirit in me and I see it in you, and I think that's right because that's what that's what climbing aunties all across the land. That's what aunties do. Is is we try and bring that encouragement um, to the young people and and to other folks in the community. That's what you know, that's what aunties do, and it doesn't mean that we also don't have really difficult struggles in our own lives. And that's that's true of me and true of everybody. Like I said, to everything there is a season, up and down, such as life. Yeah, that's real. Let's touch more on, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier from kind of piggybacking from environmental justice and 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 uh, energy poverty. I know one of the things that you have been, well, you can tell me how, how you feel about it. I don't want to say if you support or don't support was in regards to the next step of that, the evolution of that would be then the economics, the green banking. And so... Talk to me about if you do support, if you don't support federal policy and green banking, and and tell us more about why it may be important to have a a national policy on green banking and finance um, in this time when we're kind of focused on that activism. Like this is an extremely important question, and it gets again to this justice forty and. You know, as somebody who, as you say, you know, as you know, when I was at the law firm, what were we doing? Working on, you know, multi-billion-dollar financing transactions for for assets. Um, and in my heart, <laughs> I am somebody who believes in a just transition, something that gets at unearthing the the source of our problems. And over financialization and hardcore capitalism are part of those problems. <laughs> so I I believe in that. And what's happening, how, and, you know, we got what we got. So we got 40% of, so says, so says the administration of, of money that they're wanting to redirect. This is happening in New York state, the clean, the New York green bank. I'm literally, when I got off the phone, off this, off the phone. <laughs> I even said this, like, remember when phones were shaped like a banana? <laughs> um, <laughs> when I get off the computer, I have to go type up some stuff to submit. New York is looking to increase its spending into quote unquote disadvantaged communities. But what does that mean? What's that going to mean? Mm. How do, can we build the infrastructure? And that's why like coming on shows like yours, all of our black and BIPOC bankers, lawyers, community people, people who got any type of organization, how do we stand up together and build our power so that we can participate in this type of investment and not just have a, um, financialized Wall Street extraction happen to all of us across the country and it be a bust. And then they say, oh, well, that didn't work. Trillions of dollars. We've all, I'm sure, every single person, Black person for sure, we've all been waiting for some of these buckets to crack open. Like, oh, trillion dollars is coming out of Washington? What does that mean for my business? What does that mean for my community? Because you know what? Normally it doesn't mean much anything. So this is the perspective I'm coming from in terms of we do need to figure out creative policy so that we can have an engaged, more just economic, um, just transition. Sorry, I can 
the responses get too long. Don't let me get on the on the. No, no, no. I like that response. That, that's a good response. I just want to add to response. Um, is are, are black banks part of the green banking process, or should they be? Maybe it's probably a better question. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because I would, I don't have the hundred percent answer, but I, my first answer would be no, you know, yes. I mean, as you and I, I both, I, we both know many brilliant um, black and BIPOC finance professionals and bankers, you know, like we know many, we are all over this field. Are we there enough? No. Are we, are, can we, I think, come together to be positioned in a way um, to be front and center at this table? Yes. Part of, and that's part of why I like talking about it is because I think in the first instance, people don't know about it. You know, they may, by the mm. time they hear about it, it could be like many of us in the New York Times, you know, $3 trillion in infrastructure. Like, how do we tap in? No. Do you have any, any, any concerns about the finance and climate as this framing takes off in activist circles? I think my primary concern, sir, is, is really just getting at what I'm saying, because there's this idea that you can invest in frontline communities. But what does that mean? Because the, the folks who normally and this is part of our problem. Right. And I've come to see it this way. Like I mentioned before, our participation in this movement, I almost feel at this point, has been intentionally blocked by mm-hmm. structural and structural racism. Um, and other economic issues from the start. It's almost like the conservation movement started. Part of it was to keep us out the park. Facts. And and so those who lead green finance conversations often are not where many of us maybe typically at are, which could be a community development bank or you know a different sector. So we we need to get the word out so that so that we can have that that infrastructure needs to be built from the top to the bottom. Our politicians. This is not, as we know, because people, because there's so many reasons. People are like, that's a, that's a white issue. Or, oh, here they go again, wanting to do their thing, their climate change thing, trying to extract from us. And well, that's true. <laughs> but we need to, that just in the first instance, to know it's coming, to understand that, that we need to be a part of this infrastructure for our politicians, for our communities, for our groups, for our individuals, for it to wash over us. I, mm. I'm, it's my biggest concern right now is that this, this, investment will um will will wash over us and instead of um revitalize us and at the end of the day folks will shrug their soldiers shoulders and move wow let's pivot a little bit look into the future i know this is something that i hope you want to talk about here uh and we touched on it a bit earlier but can you tell us what the climate leadership and community protection act will do for communities Oh, I'm always happy to talk about the future. So when you say, what is one of the things that climate auntie is? I'm an auntie. I listen to like Neo Soul. I'm a really big Prince fan. I'm like climate auntie who loves Prince. (laughs) 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 I was like, I'll see the future and it will be. Like, that's like, you know, old Prince song. Nobody else knows. (laughs) (laughs) I see Prince everywhere. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to to the subject of hand. It's very serious. So one of the things that's happening with the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act that is one of the aspects of the law that is so unique is that it has created a a process that's intended to engage stakeholders in how are we going to get to 
100% renewable energy? How are we going to get to net zero emissions to create this plan? I have been appointed to um, to this body by uh, leader Andrea Stewart Cousins in New York. There's a whole mm. entire black woman who runs New York State. Folks should know that. She's incredible. Uh, and uh, anywho, so this council is tasked with coming up with this plan. I sit on that body. There are more than 10 related bodies there. One of them is called the Climate Justice Working Group. It is made up of key environmental justice champions and activists and, and advocates in the state. What are they looking at? What are they deciding? Who will be, what is the criteria for the Justice 40? Who are disadvantaged communities? What will the criteria be for this 40% investment? This is super important. Why? Justice 40, everyone's trying to figure this out, right? Washington, all some smart people. We love a whole bunch of them. We've got some good people in the administration and um, are trying to figure this out. But how do you figure out something like that on the dime without any community um, or stakeholder input? So at least New York, is it going to be perfect? Probably not. Things aren't perfect. But is, is, is grinding through with real environmental justice and other advocates, what, who should be getting that justice for you? So that's just some pieces and I'll, I'll stop because I could talk for a long time about climate law, <laughs> um, but I'll stop there. No, that's, I think it's important. I mean, I, while we're here, kind of on this kind of policy frame and kind of on this lane, I think this is critically important for our listeners. And I, I want to stay on this lane, not necessarily on that topic, but I do want to talk about the Climate and Community Investment Act, which places a fee on polluters that would generate upwards of $15 billion in revenue per year with a portion being reinvested into vulnerable communities. So kind of in the same lane, can you talk about how money makes it to communities impacted in measures like these? That's, thank you for this question. And this is, is key and it's important. So the coalition that brought you this, the, the CLCPA in New York State has a new, has a part two for you and everyone else called the CCIA. Um, and we're excited about it at New York for News. And yes, one of the things that's most important that I want folks to understand about the CCIA is that it is not, even though it puts a fee on carbon, it is not a cap and trade system like they have in California. It is not intended to be a market-based mechanism that scrubs carbon from the air using Wall Street and then, you know, which, which we know is problematic on so many different levels. Instead, it's exactly what you you said, just putting a fee so we can get the money to do what we need to do. And what's special about the CCIA is that is exactly that. It's investment program. The idea is that the money, big chunks of the money come through participatory budget processes with stakeholders. And it's actually community based groups who get to get those funds and build the infrastructure in their own community, as opposed to having a bank, you know, show up because they, you know, with their zillion dollars they raised and doing what they do. Hmm. So I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, one is, I would say, a uh, they're both fun questions. I, I, I hope all of this is fun. I hope, I hope, I hope all of this was good. So as a supporter of, of young people, youth, and people of color, who do you think uh, we should be looking out for 
and supporting in this work? Like, who are some people of color or young people you you kind of said, hmm, we should be supporting that work or looking out for them? We should be looking out for all the young folks. I am somebody who truly believes, as many others do, that this movement belongs to the young. It belongs mm. to the next generation uh, for so many important reasons. And, but yet still, and however, um, that needs to be done in a, also for so many reasons in an intergenerational you know, manner because there is um, history, there are movements, there are elders, and there is wisdom. And, that, and, and we're not gonna, we can't make end rounds, end runs around that. In fact, that's what the other, the, the opposition would love to see that. Um, and so there are a host of, in fact, I'm so encouraged. There are so many amazing um, young people. Um, I, the re, I'm, 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 starting, I'm stopping to think because to be honest, most of the folks, and I engage a lot of young people in New York State, these are not famous influencers, <laughs> you know, like, and, and these are, you know, these folks are not famous, but they're out there doing things in the community. We need our beautiful, we need our beautiful influencers. They are, I'm not somebody who thinks, you know, jump up, get a platform, scream it. We need all of us to be doing that. And I really do ask some of our beautiful influencers to help use that to shine a light on what their own local activists are doing and mm. try and blow that up. Are there any other things, products you're working on um, that you want to, you want to kind of make sure and bring into the conversation? Oh, but yes. So something that we are working on, I'm in, in Westchester County. I'm in the city of New Rochelle, in, uh, which is just north of New York City, just north of the Bronx. Um, and one of the things that we are working on here is how can we build Black power in this mm. movement? And this is something I would ask every single person to bite and copy. Don't take on it, Auntie. I'll come for you. But this I want you to take. <laughs> so, yes, we are now working with um, we've got we've got in New York in particular, we've got wonderful things happening because we have a brand new black man squad member and um, representative um, Jamal Bowman, mm -hmm. who is standing up for this all the way. And so we are really working with environmental justice leaders in, in my area, because you gotta, you gotta work in your own community. You know, that's what's just really important in addition to all the other things we do. Um, and we are literally working to stand up so that we can answer this call on the Justice 40. And we have to be the ones to identify what, what infrastructure needs to be changed in our community. So that's one project that I'm working on. In fact, I can share, there's going to be an Earth Day Black Power Rising um, um, Zoom event that uh, Rhett Bowman is going to be on, that I'll be on too. That's, I guess, something I can mention. Yeah. So this is my last question. It's kind of a cultural question. So, Raya, you and I have been selected to go to Mars. You, you only allowed two artist catalogs. Marvin is welcome to Mars. Why okay, we're going so there is a whole other question. I don't know if I really want to go, but what Marvin is more. Okay, so Marvin is one. So it's your turn. Who? You know who I'm coming with. You coming with Prince? The purple one. So 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 okay. So Prince. All right. So you got Marvin Gaye and Prince. Raya, thank you so much for being with me here on the uh, on the coolest show. If folks want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Um, the, the best way really is to follow Climate Auntie on Instagram. 
and, and check out uh, Climate on 10 TikTok too. But I, that's actually the best way. It's better than email. Yeah. People climate on on Instagram. This was a pleasure. A lot of fun. Thank you so much. Ma. I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah. And that's our guest today. She is Raya Salter, an attorney, educator, and member of New York State Climate Action Council, and also our climate auntie. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know.